Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor-in-chief here at Modern Retail. This week, I'm really excited. We have Ara Katz. She's the co-founder and co-CEO of Seed. Seed, among other things, they're they're an overall wellness company that, that focus on prebiotics and probiotics. They have, I believe, two products on the market right now. Is that correct? That is correct. We'll get into all of that soon. I'm I'm really interested just in the overall science and wellness space how the two intersect. And also, I think the sales channels that you guys go after are really fascinating. And I want to talk about all of that. But Ara, how are you? Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I I would just, my only quick note uh, to that intro is that we more of a microbiome science company, uh, and that is Seed Health. And then Seed, um, as you you are correct, is our consumer brand. Um, And that is where Uh, We bring all of our science to the world um, through. Got it. Got it. Thank you. I appreciate that. I want to start at the very beginning with how you got into this. But first, can you just give a description of Seed Health and Seed, how the two differ and how they all started? Absolutely. So Seed Health, um, which is the, you know, our main company, which is a microbiome science company, was founded with one kind of singular vision, which was to realize the potential of the microbiome to improve human and environmental health. And what that means is that we work with um, some of the greatest scientists really leading various fields um, that touch microbiome and looking at how we can both develop um, you know, microbial products. So things like, uh, for example, in um, therapeutics, live biothera- what they call living medicines, um, pro- uh, probiotics, as you called out, prebiotics, which you know, in our world, when they're put together, um, is commercial are commercialized as symbiotics, and um, and also thinking about, as we'll talk about today, uh, products that also kind of reimagine um, how we care for ourselves. Uh, to both be protective and restorative of the microbiome, um, microbiomes of our body uh, that are often very, very disrupted by modern life and our lifestyle. Um, and so Seed uh, is our consumer brand um, at Seed.com. And you are right, we, we currently commercialize two of our first innovations. One is called DSO-1. It is a symbiotic, it's 24-strain probiotic and prebiotic. And uh, PDSO-8, which is our pediatric symbiotic um, which just launched uh, not long ago. Very cool. So you have a pretty a pretty vast background in many different things. I was doing some research about the, you know all the things you've done. You used to work in film. You were part of some other startups. Can you just give a little bit of a brief truncated background of what you were doing before Seed um, or before Seed Health and what you're doing now, or how you got to where you are Absolutely. now? I should say. <laughs> Absolutely. The, the, the very quick but more interesting than LinkedIn uh, <laughs> version is that I have been inquiring about health and biology since I, was, uh, since I was a teenager. My mom died when I was 16, and that I remember uh, researching clinical trials in my high school computer lab, uh, and that was really my first brush with understanding how to read scientific papers and understand clinical research. My, my career uh, took me through... Um, kind of a, a through line that always included some some intersection of tech, storytelling, and design. While I was making films, I was also at the Media Lab at MIT looking at like future storytelling as it related to like technology and innovation. I've always kind of had had a very like non-traditional circuitous path, but I think the one consistent area that always fascinated me was health and biology. I did not want to become a doctor. I did, however, become the person that everybody texted asking about, is this real? What should I do? 
and not because I ever dispensed medical advice, but simply because I was very good at connecting dots and um, reading and researching science uh, and trying to help at least navigate, uh, people navigate. And when I, I had built a number, a couple of tech companies and really, I think, was questioning what I want to do uh, with my, what I want to do when I grow up, how do, how do I take the skills and this strange path that I have uh, carved and how do you make the greatest impact? And the microbiome had come along in my periphery of just kind of staying, staying abreast of kind of new fields of science and things I think that were, that I thought were interesting. And I had a miscarriage. A few things happened. The microbiome had started to kind of be in my peripheral vision. I had a miscarriage and a real moment, pivotal moment of what do I want to do? How do I want to make an impact? And what life do I want to be living? And what's viable for me? And I met my co-founder, Raja. And there were, and we of course come at it from different perspectives, but to, to me, I knew that I always felt that there was something very missing in the way that science was communicated to humans and the way that we make decisions about our health. And there's a huge schism there. Of course, we could have a whole podcast of how that played out during COVID, probably 20 podcasts. But I found that Raja was extraordinary, not just as a, as a scientific mind, um, not just because we aligned around our belief in the power of the microbiome and what that was going to mean, but also in what we could do in together, both in my experience and understanding of how to build in, in the consumer world and make that and create basically a beautiful bridge that would bring microbiome, I think, to the world in a way that um, I, I personally have not seen in any field of science that's been commercialized to date. And I felt that it was the opportunity, unlike many fields of science, the microbiome is very rare in that if, you know, only about five to, you know, depending on what paper you read, five to, you know, less than 10% of your microbiome is really inherited, which means that it is a area where environment and lifestyle make up about 90 plus percent of the outcomes. And so in that way, it is an extraordinary lever that we can pull in different ways to make an impact in our health. And I, I don't think there's many areas of science that are both this far reaching, this meaningful in terms of the future of medicine, biology, how we live, which I'm sure we'll talk about based on our announcement, and that actually every day you could make a choice that would change this part of your health. And I think that to me uh, was was the most meaningful. And so um, that that's kind of, we got started around and, and seed came from the idea of seeding. And I had gotten pregnant very shortly after that. And I think Raja and I both felt uh, that seeding, which is the, the, the way that you're, um, it's, it's, it's the infant's first exposure to microbes. It's what kind of literally seeds your microbiome. It's the first microbes you're exposed to both in utero and then at birth and then beyond. And we felt that these early windows of life, that's where we started, were the most, which we know to be the most impactful in the microbiome as it relates to someone's health journey for, for the rest, really the rest of their, rest of their lives. And so we called it Seed. Uh, we, we founded Seed Health and we were really starting very much looking at um, that early window of life. And then of course, as we built our platforms and as we built our pipeline and realized what, what really the potential of what we were building, it of course expanded from there. But um, that's how it started. Wow, that's a lot. Um, I'm really, I'm really glad you you got into that. I was I was doing some research about you. Listened to a podcast you did earlier with I think Who What Where, um, which is a really fascinating and will probably Hillary, yeah. get a lot get a lot more in depth on certain things that we won't hear. But there was one question I really wanted to ask you that you touched on here that you sort of touched on there, which is 
Um, just a little bit of background about me is my partner is is a biologist and works for a scientific publication. Um, and there's a there's a conversation we t- have, which is what is doing the research mean? Because he gets really, really annoyed when someone says they're doing the research. And it seems like you have you 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 actually read scientific literature. You do these you you know how to consume that type of very, very heady ba- research that other people don't. So when you're talking to more of a layperson who says they want to do the research and understand what's going on, how do you go about explaining to them how to go about it because there's so much misinformation out there? Well, do I mean, look, do the research for us is far. I mean, I, I don't do the research. Yeah. <laughs> I am not a scientist. I am. I am. I do the do the research for other parts of our science communication for, for sure. And how we market, how we communicate, um, how we think about the ideas and, and, and the work that we're doing and how it expresses itself out in the world. But for seed doing the research, I mean, you can just look at our chief scientific officer who ran the Janssen, you know, human microbiome Institute, and you can look at our nature publications and, uh, you can look at, um, the clinical trials that we run. And, and that to me, you know, I think as distinct from many, uh, companies that are using the words. And I think what is becoming more pervasive these days in marketing is quote unquote science backed, um, or, ba- or based in science, and I'm seeing it thrown around left and right. And I think that th- that's actually, if I were your your partner, that's where I would like really, as a scientist, bang my head against the wall. <laughs> um, because, of course, that is much more easily said than done. And I think what there's no regulation, of course, around saying backed by science, but I think we're very proud of uh, the, the level of life science DNA that we have and the way that we do the research. In terms of, uh, in terms of, um, are, are you speaking about it a little bit more from the perspective of how we communicate? I'm more speaking you personally and how you or how if someone says, "How do I do research to make sure something is vetted?" but they don't have the background yes. that you have, how do they go about uh, doing yes. that? That's sort of my big question. You know, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing question. I, 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 it's, it's one that I feel a lot of. Um, it's, it's a hard one to answer because I, and I, and I've always struggled. I really do struggle with this because I think you, you really like you meet parents, for example, that have a child with like severe allergy and you, and who have, um, you know, a, a high intention to understand something at the deepest level because the consequences are too great if they don't. And those are the people that I believe you start to see these kind of what I call kind of like these, you know, citizen scientists who go and, and you have to basically, as a lay person, start to put things together so that you can start, you, you can connect dots for yourself. Um, as a general human, you know, I think, look, I think that we all have some, some level of, uh, just to, you know, use a, a good appropriate pun, gut instinct <laughs> as to when you look at a website you look at a product, you look at um, the information you can find out in the world, you can look at some of the things that people say about the product um, and the company, you can look at who founded the company, you can look at the scientific board, you can look... So there are certainly, even before you go and understand anything about the product, I think there are cues that are important to say, is XYZ real or not? Like, is this, is this product real? Are there at least some, some really interesting people? And this is being done transparently. I can find humans on the website. There are scientists who have academic affiliation who would never associate themselves with like industry or commercial enterprise, unless they felt that there was validity to like the, what, what is underlying it. Cause there's too much at stake, you know, for, for scientists and physicians often. Um, so I think there's some cues and, and that's certainly a part of if you're looking at what's quote unquote real from a research perspective, I think it's like anything else. I mean, I, I 
personally, I think people know often more about their car than they know about their own body, <laughs> right? Like if you think about the things that we actually spend time understanding and spending time researching in our life and other, as consumers and as humans that buy things, I am often astounded by how much time we will spend understanding our iPhone or how many megabytes of, or how much memory you need for your camera or whatever you're buying that you actually spend time researching versus, and, and, and so I think there's a, a, certainly we're able to do that without understand, deeply understanding the technology that goes into our iPhone. And, and so I think, I think there are certain areas where if we just spending some, truly spending some more time with some resources that you believe are, even if they're not entirely 1000% true, because <laughs> um, obviously there is always bias inherent in how people communicate science, whether it's, you know, great doctors who have Instagram accounts all the <laughs> way to like wellness influencers who've been widely criticized for dispensing like medical advice in ways that might be uh, quote unquote misinformation. What I, what I, what I, the guidance that I give is that there's pattern recognition. When multiple people are communicating, there's always a common denominator that you can usually find of like, okay, I believe up to here to be true, but I think the rest might be a bit subjective. The rest might be, um, I need to experiment a little bit with myself, or I need to look a little bit more into that. It's not that I think protein is good or bad for me. It's that I agree protein's good for me. Let's just say if it was a nutritional question, now I have to determine is veganism actually right for me? How do I go and do and define, define that research? Everybody will have some, by the way, and I'm sure your partner would say this even in, even in science, there's bias inherent in, in almost everything. I think the more you read and the more you come at these things with a, a, a kind of scientific mind of curiosity and, syn and, then, and then ultimately the synthesis for yourself, I think you can start to put dots together that you can say, okay, I think now I believe this much is true, and now I'm going to look and seek out information about this piece, like eggs or no eggs, <laughs> red meat or, or chicken, right? Like, it, I think that there's ways of starting to parse these and break them down into decision points that you can then seek out the specific information for. But I think in general, um, it is really challenging. I, I, I don't disagree. I think there's so much information out there today. And I think it, it, a lot of it comes down to finding the resources that resonate the most, most with you. Got it. Um, and then, and, and looking across different types of resources and being curious about the ones that actually don't resonate, but starting to say, I need to remain, remove my bias and look at a number of different sources. And then I can start to say, uh, that that seems like it's true. That actually seems like something I should question. That some, seems like something I might want to ask my doctor about. That seems like something I'd want to ask, um, you know, Google and then just start to look at like, is there really divergent information or is it pretty much true that like the human body needs a certain amount of protein, right? And so I think that, that that's, that's the best way I've almost in a scaffolding approach is the way for someone who's a lay person. I think pattern recognition is something that's within everybody's reach. Um, versus like saying, I'm only going to listen to this one person, which I think ends up um, a bit in the, in the issue of many of the issues that we had during, during COVID Absolutely. and continue to have. Yeah. No, thank you. I, I apologize for throwing sort of a, a curveball. It's just something that you seem really perfectly uh, uh, <laughs> perfect for this. There's kind of no question. perfect answer. Yeah. <laughs> there's no perfect answer. And I, and by the, and the, the true answer, uh, which is boring is that we need better regulation. <laughs> that's ve that's very um, true. I bet you might in, in a lot of in a lot of areas. The, the putting the burden when the burden in a lot of things in a number of things. You, you know, you could look at climate policies as a as a starting place. When the burden 
comes to the general public, that means that something's failed systemically, in my opinion. Um, it doesn't mean that people shouldn't have free will and, and you know, go free freedom to go seek information. But what it means is that you're on your own in a, in a number of areas that actually other countries and, and other, other, uh, areas have been great at solving through very thoughtful policy and regulation. Absolutely. So let's tie this back to seed health because the microbiome is both something that people probably hear a lot about, but don't understand, which is what you were saying. How, how do you craft the messaging and how did you go about explaining what it is that you do and what it is that you intend to do so that people understood what the company's story is? First of all, microbiome is not only misunderstood, it's, it's wildly, uh, subjected to misinformation (laughs) and (laughs) and opportunism on a daily basis. Um, so it, you know, for us, so one of our core company and, and brand values is meet them where they are. Um, and I, I think that everybody is going to come to a conversation about really anything scientifically or, or from a health perspective, almost anything actually, um, from a place from from a place that is the the amalgamation of their own life and lived experience, their own understanding of something, their own bias, um, and their own level of understanding of something of, of science. And so, depending on whether you're talking to children, which I wrote a kid's book about the microbiome, <laughs> which was really, really fun. Um, and I also, we also speak to like leading immunologists and at every, uh, your, your partner would probably appreciate this, but there's a beautiful quote that um, we talk about all the time, which is, and we, we reference all the time internally, which is that science isn't finished until it's communicated. And I love that idea because it really actually forces those who are doing science to not just think about the science itself, but to really take on the accountability of how and to whom it is communicated, where and when. And I think, you know, Marshall McLuhan said the medium is the message. And so for many, for many, it really not isn't just like what the words say, but it also depends on like where they're they're hearing about it, um, and uh, and how and from whom. Uh, and I think those are, and also in what format words aren't always the right way to make something resonate. And so, you know, for us, I think overall we, we communicate about the microbiome and, you know, we, we write nature papers and we write Instagram posts. <laughs> They're wild, wildly different. <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and I think that if anyone doesn't know nature is like the Vogue of science, um, it's like having the Vogue cover. It's also uh, where my partner works. <laughs> oh, I mean, so, um, so he, yeah, so he knows better, better than anyone. So, you know, for, for, um, you know, for how we communicate it, I think overall, our take, the take home for us is that this micro, the microbiome is like this entirely new dimension to understand and action your health. And it is, we, we always say seeing, understanding the microbiome is like seeing the matrix. When you understand that there's, you know, this, these, you know, trillion, trillions, almost 50% of your human cell count is non-human and exists in almost every, and interacts with almost every biological function in the body, and by the way, in the environment as well, and in our interaction with the environment. For us, we believe that the microbiome and what we try to do on a daily basis is communicate in all different ways how it is truly an entirely new vector of health and actually calls on us to not just look at the, imagine the future of health, but to actually look backwards and redefine and reimagine the definitions and understanding of biology, 
immunology. I could go through all the ologies <laughs> that it touches and really understand that it, it undoes and rewires a lot of the, th- the ways that we have thought about our health, the way we live, because as we'll talk about today in, in the context of our, our announcement, we are doing some major damage to an ecology that has a very important job in keeping us healthy. And you can not just look at the human body, but also the environment to understand the impact of how critical it is that we start to under, you know, use this invisible world of microbes as a catalyst for, I mean, really meaningful, sustainable change. Well, you keep talking about the announcement. Can you just let us know? What is it? Absolutely. So we, um, so we just announced yesterday the, uh, a part, a new partnership. So primarily what we're known for, as you said at the beginning is innovations in probiotics and prebiotics. And certainly that's a big part of our work, which is for, for anyone listening, that's using microbes to make an impact in human health and environmental health. So we have the uh, products we talked about. We have a probiotic for honeybees. Um, you know, we have a probiotic that we started research for, for coral reefs. So really looking at how you can take bacteria and, um, you know, ha- make an impact in, in health. Our next, our, our announcement, and, and just important to underline that because what we announced yesterday was a partnership with the Swiss Institute of Allergy and Asthma Research with Dr. Chesme Actis, who is probably one of the most globally renowned, you know, immunologists and physician scientists working in the world today. And what he is known for is the epithelial barrier theory, which I'll explain. And what we what we announced is the partnership to combine our microbiome science expertise with his immunology platform to evaluate uh, toxicity and the pro-inflammatory impact of like a lot of the products that we use every single day in our lives and how they affect our barriers and our microbiome. And so what that means is that we're going to use this platform and our partnership to actually reimagine and develop new everyday consumer products um, for personal care and home, uh, starting with surfactants, which, um, which, is, which are cleaners uh, for the face and scalp, skin, and the home. And that's really important because as we think about, you know, as I said, when you think about microbiome, it's not just the future of microbiome and all the ways you can use microbes to, to impact health, which of course is a big part of, as I mentioned, of our work, but it's also looking at how the way we live today impacts our microbiome and these barriers um, where microbes play a very large role um, and are contributing to the level of allergic autoimmune and chronic conditions that we have today that are impacting, you know, over billion, billions of people around the, around the world. Things that, you know, prior to 1950 never existed before we introduced so many chemicals and new compounds into our, uh, into our products and into our bodies. Um, and I think that's exciting because as you think about future of CPG, you think about future of consumer, of course, for you guys, as you think about even I like to say the microbiome is going to really fuck up the planogram (laughs) because, you know, for anyone who knows planograms, like, you know, how retail was structured. And, you know, I know CVS is starting to actually rethink their planograms in a really interesting way around human health. But like, it really calls on us to think about health in such a new way, because the way that we have thought about it to date is doing serious damage um, to our to our bodies. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. 
Can you explain exactly how the platform works? Because I was looking at the the announcement. It's really interesting. So is the idea that you are going to like in some way say how like what is the toxicity of products that are already on the market or are you going to create a new suite of products yourself or both both the um so so we're not like really going after any any existing products as much as it's actually evaluating a lot of the compounds that are used in those products that we can characterize what the actually how toxicity should be defined so the way it's currently defined and measured is actually not taking into account a number of the biomarkers that really need to be taken into account, such as the impact on the epithelial barriers um, of the skin, of the gut, of airways, the mouth, vagina, places where there's these surfaces that come in contact with these products, but that is not how toxicity is currently measured. And so that needs to evolve um, and that's, and we will be the first to be able to do this at a um, single cell level, which is really interesting using organ on a chip um, technology, which we're inc- incredibly excited about, um, that will be able to replicate these specific biological environments and look at the interaction of these compounds. From there, we won't be able to, we will be able to not only think about how we could redefine toxicity, which I think could be very helpful as people navigate the world and think about what they put in and on their bodies and their families, but also how you use then the compounds that you find to be not just non-disturbing to the to the, these barriers um, and non-inflammatory, but also potentially reparative and protective of these barriers, um, which is really uh, interesting and um, very very important because we've had a lot of obviously disruption to these barriers. It's why we're seeing, as I said, so many of these conditions that didn't exist before. Um, but it's also really interesting to think about them being protective so that the products that we're using every day, whether it's detergents, whether it's what we clean our home with, whether it's what we wash our face, what we wash our scalp with, what we put on our babies, um, you know, could, could actually end up not just being safe, but also proactively, um, you know, healthier than what exists today. Would you ever see there being, I feel like with a lot of these types of evaluation programs, it's about some type of sometimes arbitrary, sometimes not certification. Is this about creating a type of certification? Do you see that as being a possibility or is that not, am I just completely out of bounds by it? No, you're, you're absolutely right. And in fact, we, we had, you know, for the last years, we've started seeing little tags pop up on products that say microbiome safe or, you know, say um, barrier safe. And I think we, we would love to know what's behind those because, <laughs> and, and what the, what, what the science, what the science really is um, and what, what, by what measure are they safe, right? What assays are used to determine safety. Um, I think that f- first, I think there's a, there's, there's this absolutely it's not in our current like business plan to start like certifying other people's products but i think it's certainly within our impact plan to call attention to and have the thought leadership to say here's a unique new dimension that is the first to look at both um you know a host and microbial immunology in evaluating whether or not something actually is safe. And could that then inspire others to to think about how they evaluate their products um, and how consumers can start to think about the evaluation of the things that they use and what they buy every day. And then of course, most exciting for us is how we use that information to design and formulate products that could replace um, 
a, a number of the ones that we use already. So, so what is then the business plan with this new announcement? Is it about just creating, you know, doing the research that needs to be done first and then creating the product second? Or do you have a product roadmap that you want to come out of this? Yeah, so so the first is really looking, um, screening compounds that we believe are candidates for the formulation of uh, surfactants. That's the first phase of it. And so those surfactants, um, early formulations will focus on face, body, scalp, infant skin, and the home. We sort of glossed over your, the hero product that Seed Health is most known for, Seed. And so I wanted to get into that just, and I, for, if you want to give, there, there are two products on the market, as we mentioned earlier. Um, how do you see this latest announcement complementing what Seed is? Are, you know, there, you, at the beginning, you said there's Seed Health and there's Seed. Do you want those to be two different ideas in the, the consumer's head? How, how do you see the two, two working together when there's one that's a product and one that is much more of a, 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 an umbrella scientific organization? Doesn't if I mean we don't Seed Health just happens to be like our comp I mean our company Seed is our brand so nothing for consumers to know differently other than they're taking and and or buying or using a Seed product um, so no no distinction needed uh, I more I was more just making the distinction because when you had, uh, introduced us as like a well a wellness yeah, product yeah, yeah totally company, I, I know, totally get it all the scientists behind me like are like you know throw their <laughs> arms up and like you know wave, wave their wave their hands being like wait a second wait a second I think we're doing I think we're doing more than more than that here. Um, but but no, for 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 our purposes, it's you know, seed is seed is our brand, and that is what lives out in the world, um, and how people kind of know us and and certainly participate in the brand or our products. And so, uh, it, in, in that way, there's no 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 needed distinction. But um, and all of the products I mentioned will be commercialized under seed. Got it, got it. And can you talk a lot about the product rollout? Um, because you know, for the most part. As far as I know, you know, you, you order it, you can order it online, you can buy it in a couple of stores, but you try to bring people into a subscription model, right? Yes, today today um, we are actually subscription only, uh, unless you know we have a couple uh, retail partnerships that are exciting that we've I think talked about with you guys in the past, um, and those are really you know just um, interesting partnerships. But for the most part, yeah, we're subscription at seed.com today. Uh, and that, and that, you know, that has, there's a number of reasons, one of which is that, you know, probiotics are transient. Um, they, they really can only do their work, uh, if they're con- consumed continuously, you know, contrary to popular belief, which is the idea that you kind of take them and they just colonize and then they're, they're, it's done. Um, most, most probiotics are actually doing their work kind of on their way through your GI system. And then, you know, within a few weeks, they would just kind of wash out if you stopped, um, stop taking it. So that's, you know, the, the, the business model also has biological grounding, um, in terms of why we do that. And, and certainly there's a lot of rationale there from a scientific perspective, but it's also something that, that has to do with another aspect of health. That's really challenging to crack, which is compliance, which is how do you get, um, people to do things that, that are proactive and, and good for their health on a regular basis, which we know even in um, the most terminal of cases is still hard. So when it's something that's proactive, you know, like supplementation with a probiotic, it's, um, it, you know, sometimes there's a number of ways you have to come at that. And for us, subscription is, is and, and, and of course, the, the depth of relationship we then get to have with somebody on their health journey, it makes that makes that more meaningful than kind of a single purchase. It makes a lot of sense for a product like Seed, why it would be subscription. But can you talk about, for those few exceptions where you are in retail, how you approach that and why you decided to do that, since they don't lend themselves so well to subscription, I imagine? 
Yes, yeah, of course. Well, they, they become, we, we did um, a story with you guys on our partnership with Erewhon, which is an affiliate partnership, which is interesting. So, um, you know, we exist in the, if, for those who don't know, um, Erewhon is a chain of specialty uh, grocers and, and kind of very much known for its kind of like curation of well-being um, in, in, in the LA area. And so we did it as a partnership uh, with a, you know, multi-year relationship, but for all of the purchases that are made within the store, um, there is then a discounted subscription that any Erewhon customer can access online, uh, for which Erewhon is then uh, entitled to affiliate fees the way it would work kind of digitally on, if it was entirely online. Um, and that's become really interesting because, of course, what we know in this modern retail environment, not to um, <laughs> drop the name of your podcast in my answer, uh, is that um, is that people use stores for discovery, and then they go online and just buy it. And so I think what we're trying to do is really think about that um, that user journey and say how could how could we um, empower a, a more thoughtful way to do that, um, and also make sure that Erewhon feels uh, accredited and you know given some attribution for the you know for 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 the discovery, which which rightfully so that they should. And I think many retailers, offline retailers, should be thinking that way. Has that worked out? Has the thesis worked where they? Yes, very well. Yeah, more honestly, better than we thought. Better than we thought it would, which is really which is really exciting um, and something that we're we're really tracking and then thinking about. Uh, thinking through with you know other partners and also um, as we launch new products what that what that could look like in the future which is um, I think really exciting and probably you know a lot of you know the thesis behind why Amazon bought Whole Foods and um, certainly I think we'll start to see you know more of that out in the world um, as our as our digital and um, physical worlds converge. Would you consider doing it with another or even a national chain of this size or do you think that Erewhon is just sort of the perfect kind of I guess like enclave where it is, you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think Erwan was a um, was a petri dish, right? Like, I think sometimes you need to. I'm sure your 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 partner would also appreciate <laughs> you to kind of get pre get preclinical, get in vitro data because before you go in vivo. So to to put that in the retail uh, analog, it would be you know certainly do manageable petri dish experiments, um, make sure that there's uh, validity to the model and to 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 what it looks like. And then of course, take it um, and try and scale it. So yes, absolutely. I think we could see that at scale. So are you thinking about more retail or are pretty much, are you focused on specifically on just growing, you know, these other announcements and then growing the digital business? So there's a absolutely thinking about thinking about it, but we have a number, we have a couple clinical trials that are publishing soon that have an expansion of need state and the way that we will think about probiotics that we believe lends itself very well to retail and specifically like retail phar- pharmacy. Um, so we're going to be thinking, we're, we're working now and, and those trials are completed and, and the publications are being prepared. And so um, we'll probably be pitching uh, you and your partner's <laughs> publication uh, for those. But yes, absolutely thinking about it. Just want to kind of like everything we do, just want to think about it in a in a very deeply thoughtful, but hopefully innovative way. Um, I don't think we're thinking about retail in a very traditional way uh, today, but based on some of this new new research that's going to come out, I think we have some exciting opportunities for how uh, to position a product like ours within a pharmacy 
slash, you know, retail pharmacy en environment. Um, and then also starting to think, I think the most exciting thing we're, we're, we're working on is, you know, the engagement with HCPs and, and healthcare practitioners, um, which is its own form uh, in some cases of, of retail, but of course in a, in a completely different context, uh, but one that's very important to us and for which thousands of them reach out to us that we, you know, so that, that we want to be more um, formally engaging with. Um, and so I think there's a, a lot of exciting, uh, you know, kind of channel expansion and, and ways of thinking about how we make a greater impact with our products um, that will come in the next you know, year or so. Can you go a little bit? Because I think the pharmacy is such an interesting space. And I think you probably have a really good perspective on this. I think most pharmacies are outdated and kind of suck. And they're not very enjoyable retail experiences. So as a next gen, you know, company that that sells, uh, you know, a microbiome product that could sell in there, but also people don't really like going in there. Do you, do you, would you need Walgreens or CVS to revamp how they do retail in order to sell in there? Or do you, or what, what do you think is the next step for the pharmacies in order for them to actually really work in this current environment? Well, I think as I mentioned, I mean, look, companies like CVS are starting to pilot these stores that are um, oriented around the need state. Um, which I think is fascinating. And I think that they're seeing a lot of six early success with that, which I think has a little bit more of like the human design thinking approach. And I think that's incredibly exciting. Kind of what I said, like you need to kind of disrupt the planogram if you really, if you, and you need to disrupt the underlying assumptions that go into the planogram, right? Like, you know, you don't, you don't like pain is not just like a pain, there's no like pain aisle, like pain looks very different for different things. Right. And so, um, I think I really love the way CVS is thinking about that. I think that's a, a that feels forward thinking to me. It feels like you're you're empathically thinking about who's walking in, um, what their what is their need state, um, how, how should that be curated for them? To your point earlier, like when I said to, when you asked me about how people should do their own research, that's a the curation of what is on a shelf is research, mm -hmm. right? Like there's somebody who's actively in the same way that I see Google, Google works in the same way. And so, uh, you know, going into a aisle is like a search result, right? It's like, I've, I've, I have a query and I'm walking into a store and someone needs to understand what, it, what are my actual, as a human being, what are my questions? Not how were big companies conceptualized uh, to like organize themselves and then therefore block shelf space. It's a very, you know, it's a really, so I think a lot of it requires a systemic think thought, you know, around like, or rethinking of the traditional ways of, of, of merchandising. Um, that's far more human centric to what we, and now we have so much data and so much access to data that it would be, it's inexcusable if those things don't change. But to your question about how we think about it, I think that there's a, period of time before what I'm that utopian you know, human centered <laughs> way of going into a pharmacy will even, you know, exist. So then I go back to what I said earlier, which is you have to meet people where they are, right? Like you have to say, where could I be in this store today that would position us in the right way? Like, again, like, you know, when, when I think about the noise that exists in probiotics and I think about the, a lot of the information and messages that are coming at people where you sit in the store um, whether you're sitting in the pharmacy behind the counter, whether you're on a shelf with just a bunch of, di you know, digestive health stuff, whether it's, you know, I think it, I think all of that communicates on some level to a customer and to a human looking for a solution 
a lot about what we are and how we, and how they should think about us. And so absolutely, like, as we're, as we're thinking, even in this current situation, you know, current standard of a pharmacy, I think there's still a number of ways to innovate there. Um, and I, and that, and that's kind of what we'll probably be talking about in the coming year, but in the future state, I'm very excited about how those spaces of health are going to be rethought. And I think you're seeing that also with diagnostics, you're seeing it with personal data, you're seeing the way a lot of these pharmacies are turning into almost like healthcare, like almost like a, a you know, tr- a, like a, a, a version of healthcare that then uh, the products are almost secondary uh, too. And so I think there's, there's so much innovation happening. And I think there's companies that are doing really interesting, starting to do really interesting thought, thinking around this. Absolutely. Well, we're just about running out of time, but I always try to ask this by the end. Um, you've mentioned a few things that you've been working on. You have some papers on the horizon. You have this latest announcement. What are, what are your focus? What's your focus for the next year? Is it on sort of uh, doing more research? Are you going to have some new products that are going to hit the market soon? What, what, what are you thinking about and what should I be expecting? I think a few things. <laughs> the first, the first is, the first is impact, which is how now that we we have an understanding of what we what we built, we have we know the, the efficacy um, of our of our first two products. How do we scale them in a way that creates the greatest amount of health impact? That's probably the that's the that that's really I think the first. The second is our R and D programs that are. Um, at, in some cases, really ready now to be translated from a product perspective um, and come into the world and hopefully make the the impact that um, our first two products have and continue to make. And those are the, that will be in the form of a new product launch um, or launches, I should say, uh, which is exciting. But can't can't what quite yet share um, <laughs> what areas they're in, but um, certainly. Uh, one peek at our Seed Health website, and and you would probably be able to guess, see at least the areas of research that we do, um, and and I think the the third is really thinking about the um, expansion of our education and communication, um, and that obviously takes the form of speaking to healthcare practitioners because of course they're in very influential disseminators of, of information to, to people that are very trusted um, and influential in people's health journeys. That includes really interesting new campaigns and ways of showing up in the world with different partners um, and different, uh, you know, campaigns and, and ways of, of communicating as a brand. Um, and so those, those three are kind of where we're, where we're focused right now. Um, and, and I'm very, yeah, we'll have tons to talk to you about over the next year. Well, I'm really excited. Well, Ara, thank you so much. This has been a really fun conversation. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and send this podcast over to a friend who you know would enjoy it. See you next week. Bye.